You get ideas from daydreaming. You get ideas from being bored. You get ideas all the time. The only difference between writers and other people is we notice when we're doing it. that Netflix is buying the Rolled Dow estate, which is a bunch of intellectual property, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, and the Big Friendly Giant. No, I did not. All right. So they're buying for $500 million. Oh, damn. You get, you get your childhood movies on Netflix, basically, and they're going to start making new shows and miniseries using that IP. So I don't know about you, but like James and the Giant Peach was terrifying for me as a child. I remember seeing that when it first came out when I was a kid. I don't even, what what year did that come out actually? I don't even it's remember. In like late like 90s, early, I want to say. Oh, it's late 90s? I think so. Oh wow. Um but that was one of Tim Burton's, you know, OG mm-hmm. movies. Uh so it's been interesting to see the hits and misses since then. But um I think it'll be interesting to see how like intellectual property gets packaged up and resold from here on out and you just see like amazon prime hbo max netflix hulu which is disney uh you know they're just buying everything they can yeah i remember hearing um about the the exorcist series was actually like uh was it hbo or warner brothers or or someone purchased the whole exorcist uh property basically and they're gonna start remaking all the movies you see so many people just like trying to like hop on and buy all this old stuff and just remake everything and it's i mean there's a lot of i guess potential money in there because there's just all that you know people already know about it that that nostalgia thing but then there's always that uh that worry if they're not gonna like it or like are they gonna ruin it are they gonna just take the whole thing and take it into another direction or reimagine it. Yeah. And it's like we were talking about with the matrix stuff or the star Wars stuff. Um, it's just, it's a bit of a cash grab, but if the fans enjoy it, then it's, it's cool to see stuff remade and, and reimagined. So speaking yeah. of, uh, reimagining things, I listen to the Alec Baldwin podcast. He has a podcast called here's the thing where he talks like Alec Baldwin and <laughs> he was interviewing Hans Zimmer. Zimmer has scored over 150 movies, mm-hmm. which is pretty wild. Yeah. Um, it's been in the game for a while. And yeah, so he, he start. you definitely should listen to the podcast. It was interesting, but he talks about being fired uh, when he was 18 years old by Stanley Kubrick. And um, he got hired as like a, as a composer and got fired like shortly after that. Um, so that was like one of the beginning kind of, form form, like a you know form fitting progression of his career is getting fired from this legendary director and then he talked a lot about his scoring and like collaboration with christopher nolan Mm -hmm. and um he was basically saying that nolan would call him and say like hey you should come bring your kids down to the beach and we'll talk and they're just going to talk business it was very like mafia sounding yeah Uh, and and um he was saying like yeah just send me some music don't name it don't like don't tag it for a certain scene and like there's no footage being watched so zimmer would just send him a cue he hasn't seen any of the footage for for say like uh dunkirk Mm -hmm. and 
and then Nolan would be placing all this music. So I thought that was really interesting how they work together and they've done, you know, so many movies together um, yeah. between like Inception and Interstellar. And yeah. then Batman. the other cool, exactly, The Dark Knight. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting is he said, like Zimmer said that he thinks of himself as the river and the viewer as the uh, boat. And so the music basically like takes you down the stream of the mm -hmm. movie and you know, you may not know like where you're going or like what's happening next, but the river guides you, the music guides you along uh, the movie until you get to your destination. So I thought that was fun. And I thought it was like a cool way to look at film scoring. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting concept to think about it that way, because I think for for some people who are um, getting into film composing, it's like you some people instinctually just want to like throw the kitchen sink at it. Like, all right, like, you know, because it's not hey check out what i can do it's how can you sort of uh, accentuate the the movie watching experience and i think that's one of the things that's kept hans zimmer in the game for so long because he doesn't he doesn't always just think about it as like a you know how can i showcase all my composing skills and cram everything into there it's like he's all about the story you know like a like for anyone who's seen that master class a lot of it is it's you know if you're going to watch that is a way of like learning how to like massage midi and make stuff sound good that's not what it's about like right, right. he really he really approaches it from the whole uh story aspect and how you can kind of find these little nuggets of of musical inspiration from the story and that's why i think he's been doing his thing for so long because he's so good at that i mean and he also does a lot of stuff with pushing the boundaries and doing you know really new ideas which then turn into the whole like brahms thing like you know the stuff from inception how that just you know and then you have he, the copycats yeah yeah like he's he's you know he's been a, a trendsetter you know i mean you guys you have guys like john williams who are just predominantly orchestral and mm -hmm. you know he does throw the the kitchen sink in you know in all of his music but he does it in such a way that it doesn't just seem like overkill like he's just you know he masters that whole aspect of orchestral composition right but uh but yeah that, that's a really interesting concept because it it really makes a lot of sense it's not just here's music because it's very easy. I don't know if uh, anyone watching is really easy to know when music is bad in a movie. Like, have you ever like watched like, fit. yeah, or you watch certain movies and you're just like, what were they, you know, especially like kind of like cheesy B movies or, you know, movies that you can tell there's might not be that much of a budget or actually is pretty good visually. Sure. But the music is just, you can just, it's so easy to tell when it's wrong or when it's just like audio is very important. Yeah. I think it's 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 good to have that that instinct to know when something is off. Mm -hmm. you know, I think some people just get kind of hung up on their own music, like oh, this is you know this is cool, but you got to take yourself out of the composer seat and be able to kind yeah. of internalize it that way. Scoring is a very pragmatic art, and I think Zimmer is a, a great case study because of his director relationships and networking, and how he makes his own personal brand. Like he's a household name. Um, in, in a very different way than someone who is hot right now, but may not be working in five years, you know, like he, he's figured out how to keep pivoting and keep evolving his sound. And there are many imitators, but no one exactly like him. And I think that's cool. And so like his, his relationship with Nolan is like at least 15 years running. They basically do things 
out of boredom almost at this point. So they're like, we've done the big drums for Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've we've done the um, the big brass, like the low brass. And I, I can't remember if it was him or if it was Nolan, but they were like, what about pipe organ? Mm-hmm. And so pipe organ became, you know, the massive machine behind the interstellar soundtrack. And uh, so it's fun to have like a collaborator. And we talked about that a little bit with the Matrix trailer and the two composers who um, composed with the Wachowskis. And, you know, one does the electronic stuff, one does the orchestral stuff. And that is a very similar vibe um, Mm -hmm. where you just keep you just keep coming up with new ideas and new like foundational, fundamental concepts, which won't behind a score. Yeah. And I think that keeps it fresh, too, because, I mean, I would think for, you know, composers who are doing a few movies a year, like you don't want to just always open up the same template with the same sounds because you're just kind of instinctually going to gravitate towards doing similar things. things. Like I'm going to reach to my my short strings and start doing some, you know, or certain composers are approaching a a new movie, especially if it's a movie with a director they've been working with you know, for a long time, it's like, how can we make this stand out mm-hmm. on its own musically, visually, story-wise? Like, I think I remember seeing a, a a video where Hans Zimmer was talking about how he was coming up with some of the melodic ideas for Interstellar. And I think it was something like, I, I, don't, I don't even think he had any visuals, possibly. It was right. just Christopher Nolan telling him about this story with this father and his, I think he said it was his son at the time. It was actually, of course, everyone knows it's a daughter in the movie, mm-hmm. but I think because he knew like Hans Zimmer had a son or something and he wanted it to kind of see if he can like relate it more to himself possibly. So he started writing this idea because it's, you know, about the story of father and son. And I think he sort of attached that emotional connection to himself which kind of brought out some of those musical ideas. And then later on he told him, oh, actually it's, it's a girl, but like the, the whole musical elements were basically there. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. Cause it's uh, I think that the best way to really, especially if you're doing something that's emotionally powerful is to just like actors, it's like pulling from, from within, you know, if you're doing a scene where you're just like losing it, you know, you need to kind of draw from some part of your life where, you know, like everyone's had those moments where, you know, things just fall apart or they're disastrous. So it's like, I think being able to pull from that stuff when you need to, in a positive way, you're going to get a more, I don't know, emotionally responsive thing you know what i mean yeah if you can pull from your own experiences and your own like real feelings uh the music is more real and it feels more genuine yeah yeah and i I think that's really cool doing that as a musician you know writing songs that people can relate to and it touches them on that level because it's real you're not just trying to manufacture feelings it's like that's not how humans are you know you you don't just like oh i'm sad now it's like no like that's not how it works (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I think that's cool. Absolutely. One of the YouTube videos I watched this week that I thought you would you would like is the Cuckoo Studio Tour 2021. And I don't know if you follow Cuckoo, but he's like a, a British hardware synth, mostly basically like a synth musician, composer, does a lot of electronic music. That's cool. Um, and he just got a new flat pretty recently that he's renting Voice. out. And uh, he 
has like totally overhauled it. He's got an upright piano and then like everything's made for YouTube, of course, mm -hmm. uh, because he's doing a lot of videos and he does like these videos called one synth, one song, as the name would imply, you take one synth and you make the whole song using it. Mm -hmm. um, but he was basically just given a tour of all of like his, his new space. The, the funniest thing that he, he said was like, I leave my phone right here at the door. Like I have a special spot for it. The focus that comes from being away from your phone and actually getting stuff done is, you know, like worth its weight in gold just to have yeah. this spot where my phone goes when I, when I clock in basically. He also like put his desk where he's working. He kind of like shifted it. So there's like a bunch of open space as he's looking and he was like i got i'm tired of staring at walls and mm -hmm. so like he has a window on one side and he has the piano with a bunch of his paintings he's like a visual artist as well he just said like i want i want to have like space around me when i'm working on music stuff and uh so those two things were the big takeaways for me like not staring at walls mm -hmm. uh and just focus you know it's like it's so easy to get trapped into the the email or the social media cycle and like oh, yeah. look up and you're like oh it's 30 minutes later and i i still have to do the rest of this composition yeah it's very easy for people to uh to get into procrastination mode especially mm -hmm. when you have all these all these things around you that are kind of like poking at your attention like you know, bling, your phone goes off. Oh, you know, <laughs> right. Let me, uh, let me check that out. Oh, okay. Oh, actually, you know, let me check my email real quick. It's yeah. like every, every new thing is a new dumpster fire that you have to take care of, like a new emergency. It's like, yeah. oh, this email is the most important thing now. Oh, this is the most important thing now. It's like, and you never get what you actually wanted to accomplish done. I remember there's, there's something I always think about whenever it comes to, you know, doing stuff for the day, you know, whether it be, you know, sound iron work or stuff on my own, it's like that, uh, what can I do today that will get me like the furthest along, you know, like, yeah, high, like the highest impact thing. Yes. Cause like, you know, you can have like, like big projects and little projects and it's easy to kind of like put off big projects when you're working on all these little things like, Oh, I'll just do this. Like, like, what do I need to do today? That's going to like really make an impact as far as things I need to do, you know, cause especially, you know, with all the other things going on, it's so easy for things to just like take over your time and time is of the essence kind of thing. And, Totally. Uh, yeah, like I, I remember like reading a lot about people who they'll basically put their phone in another room when they go to sleep. Sure. And and not doing that whole waking up and checking emails and stuff. Uh, I'm still guilty of that here and there, but there was like a time where I was trying to really be better about it, like waking up, you know, stretching, drinking water, um, you know, kind of doing your, your morning prep, you know, your morning routine and take a shower, get ready, and then like meditate for like 15 minutes and just kind of like make the first hour of the day yours. I yeah. think that's a, a really important thing because you're not just immediately waking up to the world barking at yeah. you and trying to get Matthew, your attention. Uh, Matthew McConaughey said very something very similar to that, which was, uh, I like to check in on myself before I check in on the world. Mm -hmm. And so he said like the, you know, the first hour or so is, uh, you know, don't, don't touch the phone. I wish you would have done that in a Matthew McConaughey voice. I don't have the, I don't have the voice. <laughs> you got to check in with yourself you now before <laughs> you check in with the world. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really great way of going about things because it's so easy to just 
fall into the social media internet pool because it's like when you think about it it's like we we didn't do that kind of stuff 20 years ago i don't know like i, I don't think i had a cell phone until i was like 19 or something sure. so it's crazy and to see like a bunch of little kids with ipads and stuff i'm like i don't even when i was a kid i didn't have that kind of stuff and and we didn't obviously we didn't need it still kind of got past with everything else so it's it's very easy to just like fall into that that spiral of all the stuff going on because there's always a million things out there harping at your attention yeah so yeah i mean that, that i think that's a good thing especially if you're trying to work on anything you know i know some people turn their internet off so they can't browse sure so they're just like all right well i have to work on this now because i uh i don't have any internet you know or put force your, myself like, to yeah. to stay here and live in a cave and yeah. compose music yeah yeah and that's how you get stuff done you know like it's kind of hard to to really get into that flow state of of either being creative or productive uh like um what's that guy he uh, i've seen him on joe rogan a few times i think he always wears uh lex Friedman. Lex, yeah like he talks about like i remember watching some videos about how he talks about his his work day and how he'll have like super dedicated times of like focus like deep work mm -hmm. i think is what he called it where it's just like everything is put put away it's just i'm only focusing like hardcore attention on this one thing because it's uh it's hard to to sometimes get into that creative flow state when something flips your attention like oh i gotta handle this thing real quick or like someone knocks on your front door and then you got to come back and you're like wait where was i at like you have to like take some time to kind of settle back in especially when the, the ideas ups man gets you every time dude yeah you know when the muse knocks you have to answer and if you miss that it's over kind of like what we were talking about last time about you know setting things up in a way to where you can be creative or or have stuff at arm's reach or, or even just like aesthetically or you know like like putting up art you know so like it doesn't always need to be gear sometimes that can almost like be like detrimental of having too many options but you know art can inspire like you got some little plants in the back you know sometimes you got to bring bring in a little nature yeah i i know about like composing to a photograph is a good exercise mm -hmm. um even like talking to friends about plugins or stuff like that like that that kind of collaborative teamwork can help you get inspired do you have any like favorite things that you do to get your ideas going it, it really varies some sometimes i feel like a lot of my like real creative ideas hit me when i am not touching an instrument okay. like i i used to have uh back when i used to work a lot of like warehouse jobs a lot of times being there it's like i'm doing my my work but i always have you know everything that i wanted to do as soon as i got out of work like music stuff oh i want to you know work on this video or work on this piece of music or i would always get these little musical ideas popping in my head it sort of just like at random oh wow and then i would just like you know bust out my phone and be like you know and just kind of like singing into my phone and i remember one time my girlfriend grabbed my phone and she was like what is this? And it's like me just horribly singing some either melodic idea or like a, a riff idea that's just a you know to anyone like, else hey, it would respect make the process. Yeah, I'm like it's I'm a I'm a singer now. I'm creating, you know. But it's Danny, more dude, 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 Danny Elfman. Okay, mm -hmm. Danny Elfman talks about writing the Batman score in an airplane bathroom with a tape recorder. He he was like. 
he like ran to the bathroom like multiple times on this flight and he uh-huh. was like like <laughs> i think i remember you, hearing about that and then like he was like all right and then the brass does this yeah and then the strings are gonna do this and just and, can uh, you imagine the noise the, yeah like the background noise horrible but amazing yeah yeah i think uh i think I also remember seeing that he he wrote the the Simpsons theme like in his head basically on the way home after having a meeting yeah. talking about it pretty much like the whole way home he like is thinking of the ideas as soon as he got home it's just like there it is and that, that's kind of how it how it happens I mean I I sometimes try to experiment with just grabbing something new either like a different instrument or sometimes I like taking my guitars and just messing with the tunings mm-hmm. like like certain open tunings because sometimes just having strings tuned in a different way but playing this the stuff that you tend to play sounds totally different yeah and it, and then, it also makes you a beginner again you're like trying to find out what voicings are and like you hear you hear the stuff differently your fingers have to move differently and mm-hmm. you're like it, it really feels like you're starting to play guitar as a beginner again like you know a lot of technique but your <laughs> your old stuff that you have in your brain sounds wrong yeah because I, I I've always been a fan of letting your ear lead you somewhere. Uh, I you know growing up playing guitar, just kind of like I'm self-taught. I never went to school or nothing like that. But I started trying to learn theory because I'd always hear people talk about it, and I was like, oh, you know, that seems like it would be a good way to kind of understand a little bit of what you're doing. So that way you can either if you're teaching, because I used to teach a little bit, but just for for myself to kind of understand and make sense of of things, it's kind of like a, I remember I heard this guitar player say it's kind of like a, going to a foreign country and not knowing the language. Like it's going to be really hard for you to get wherever you need to go if you can't speak the language. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, that makes sense. But I feel like sometimes when if you try it, like for me, I can't just like write thinking theory based. I feel like it just, it puts this like weird invisible wedge in my mind. So a lot of times when I write stuff, it's usually just play around, just kind of freely, not really thinking of anything just kind of letting my ear and hands kind of be my guide. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I don't have this, the strongest sense of musical theory, but I feel like I've, I grew up having a pretty good ear because I trained my ear a little bit more because I didn't have all that kind of like theoretical stuff in my mind or, or having those kind of like classical players, you know, like when you go and you have people whipping you with a ruler, like, no, do it right. You know, technique and theory and like playing, you know, certain repertoires and stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's harder for them to go in and start jamming with a, with a jazz band or something. Cause they just be like, I, I don't know how to improvise or where's the music that I get to read. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the sheet music? Like what? Nah, here's the changes. We're playing this, 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 and this. You ready to go? It's like, what? You know, because that's how that's how they are. It's all about like how you train, really. Uh, what about you? Does any any things that you do? I know um, what was that quote that you told me a long time ago? Like uh it was like about like inspiration, like inspiration hits like at 9 a.m. every day or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I only uh I only write when the inspiration hits. Luckily, it hits at 9 a.m. every morning. Yeah. And that's just talking about, you know, dedication to a craft and and being disciplined to sit down every day and and write something. Some of my favorite ideas are basically similar to yours. Like I, I really enjoy just kind of mindlessly playing a keyboard or a guitar and like kind of letting your brain float almost. Um and then 
at some point you find a rhythm that really feels good or you find uh, a chord structure or a melody that is interesting and I'll record that and then I might not use it that day I might come back to it but um, those kind of little snippets are typically a good place to get started and then when I'm composing with our libraries which I do often um, mm -hmm. I'll do like a whole track just using one library which if you're watching this go get desk bell desk bell is our new free library and it packs a very powerful punch and i just did a track using it and it's it's amazing value it's zero dollars but uh it's free come on when i when i compose when i compose using that i will go through each effects preset one at a time and i will just kind of play around with it and see if anything jumps out at me from the sound or from mm -hmm. the mod wheel control and so that's how my composing process starts is just kind of almost like reaching for paintbrushes and reaching for colors and oh i don't need that color today uh you know or i i really like how this feels and how it like floats and just um creates an ambient texture and then a lot of that will kind of instruct what the piece turns into so that is one way i definitely i definitely actually enjoy getting new plugins um i collect plugins that's part of my job uh <laughs> but um when i get a new plugin that automatically puts new sounds and textures into your palette and uh you can stumble upon things and i think i think the creative process a lot of it really is stumbling upon new things and working mm -hmm. from there. Yeah, or or learning new new ways of processing sounds. Like like you mentioned, you do a lot of the sound design stuff for a lot of our libraries, the ambiences and new plugins or new sounds. So that's why I think a, a lot of composers or composers or musicians, you know, have that kind of you know that gas thing where it's like it, it's. I don't know if it's ne it's not necessarily just trying to be a hoarder of of mm -hmm. sounds. But I think a lot of it, it's just inspiration. Like you want to get some new cool sound that allows you to either work on a new project. Let's say you have some project and you need a, a kazoo or you need some kind of weird hand-built instrument because, you know, like, like that's why I love the, the Hopkins stuff is because all that stuff is it's resemblant of instruments that we know, mm -hmm. but done in a completely new and, and unique way they all and it's like twist. yeah and it's like these are sounds that no one's ever really heard maybe it's like oh that sounds very similar to you know to a yamelophone or a kalimba or something but i think a lot of people want to bring in some new sounds or or process them in an, in another way uh you know like using distortion on um bowed instruments like i did a, a video a long time ago i think back when uh six seven came out and i was putting like amp sim plugins on on hyperion strings oh yeah and it's i don't know why i was just like i'm just gonna throw some distortion on some orchestral strings it's just like i think you just want to like do something different or hear I something different rock. yeah yeah it, it's funny it almost sounds like a lead guitar it's pretty wild sure. you did but, a video uh, playing a violin as well too right when sound designing like a, a cheap real violin yeah, I did like this like little really quick and dirty contact instrument for uh, it was a uh, composing in the style of the witch and I'm not a violin player and and that was one of the things too like that whole track basically got inspired from me getting this like little cheapy violin and just kind of 
doing some really eerie kind of bow stuff and you know anything bowed to me sounds cool i'm a huge fan of, i'll bow this desk if i can you know basically that whole track came from me playing a violin horribly and it just naturally had that i mean in the score mark corvin uses uh, a nickel harpa and i think a, a bass nickel harpa too he has a couple of different ones it has a very particular sound because the way you you fret the notes it's like you push these buttons and that's how it like changes right so it has this like little clicking sound to it but i just wanted some kind of eerie bowed kind of sound and then sampled it threw in contact and then used that on top along with the recorded uh violin sounds and you know that whole thing came from just a violin that i don't know how to play so sometimes you know even if you have instruments that you don't necessarily know like uh um the uh the seagull merlin that i got like it's something totally new but it's a fun little instrument it doesn't really take much so just getting your hands on something new you know like for me like i'm i'm predominantly a guitar player i'm not you know much of a keyboardist i i dabble over the years but for me like sometimes i'll just even try to write stuff on the piano versus mm -hmm. guitar or because it's like my fingers are going to go in different places than it would on the guitar so it's always just to you know grab an instrument whether you know it or not who knows more than likely it's going to inspire something and the nice thing with uh you know real acoustic instruments is you can swap them with your friends so you can mm -hmm. you can go back and forth and you know here's this ukulele for a couple of weeks and then once you get bored of it you know bring it back and bring me a mandolin or whatever yeah that's exactly what happened with the seagull merlin uh my friend uh ram who uh, is also another uh, one of the owners of docuscores i was at his studio doing some we were just doing some docuscore tracks just some production music stuff i was just kind of like oh what's this and i just kind of grabbed it and started playing around with it and he's like oh you could borrow it you know he let me borrow it for a little bit and then I was like, I have to buy one of these. It's like so fun because it's just, uh, it's four strings, but two of the strings are the same. It's just like two unison strings. So it has like that kind of chimey sort of like 12 string sound a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And um, if you got any friends that have instruments, you know, I just want to, I just want to get some cabs. I feel like I have so many instruments. I'm like, I want to get like a cab to just jam in here, but it's probably Straight too loud. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. One thing, one thing I read this week, speaking of ideas, is a blog post from Neil Gaiman, who is an author, and uh, he talks about how every, prof he says, every profession has its pitfalls. Doctors, for example, are always asked for free medical advice, lawyers asked for legal information, and then writers are asked where we get our ideas from. And he said, in the beginning, I used to tell people the not very funny answers, like from the idea of the month club or from a little ideas shop, uh, from a dusty old book <laughs> full of ideas in the basement. And then at some point, they got, uh, I got tired of the not funny answers. And these days, I tell people the truth. He says, I make them up out of my head. And he said, people don't like this answer because mm -hmm. they feel like you're cheating or you are um, somehow like tricking them. And uh, he goes on in this blog post to basically say like, that is the point of creativity is basically accumulating little snippets, little ideas, and then outputting a new fresh concept or character in a book um, mm -hmm. from all of your experiences and all the stories that you get to hear. And so I loved this blog post, but it just reminded me like when people ask like, oh, how do you write music? How do you compose this kind of music? How do you compose in this style? And it's just like, mm -hmm. I make them up out of my head. And, you know, there's longer answers, which are like, 
oh, I borrow from the greats and I steal like an artist, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that. But he he goes, he ends up going to this little kid classroom, uh, seven-year-olds. And so he's talking to seven-year-olds as like a, you know, bring your dad to work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, when I was your age, people told me not to make things up. And these days they give me money for it. <laughs> and he said, for 20 minutes, I talked and they asked questions. And eventually one of them asked the dreaded question, where do you get your ideas? And I realized I owed them an answer. They weren't old enough to know any better. And it's a perfectly reasonable question if you weren't asked it weekly. Mm-hmm. This is what I told them. You get ideas from daydreaming. You get ideas from being bored. You get ideas all the time. The only difference between writers and other people is we notice when we're doing it. You get ideas when you ask yourself simple questions. The most important of the questions is just what if dot, dot, dot. Another question is if only uh, he goes on, you know, talking about the writing process, but basically a lot of it applies to composing music as well. Oh yeah. Um, and just, you know, floating, floating these ideas, you know, learning from other people and then like also just daydreaming. And you, you know, you were talking about using voice memos on your phone and then writing at home once you got once you got back from work Mm -hmm. and so much of that is is all kind of baked into this at the end he says my idea of hell is a blank sheet of paper or a blank screen and me staring at it unable to think of a single thing worth saying a single character that people could believe in a single story that hasn't been told before staring at a blank sheet of paper forever And then he says, I wrote my way out of it, though. I got desperate. That's another good answer to give people up there with boredom and deadlines. He says, all these answers are true to a point. And I took my own terror and the core idea and crafted a story called Calliope, which explains, I think, pretty definitively where writers get their ideas from. It's in a book called Dream Country. You can read it. And somewhere in the writing of that story, I stopped being scared of the ideas going away. Where do I get my ideas from? I make them up out of my head. And so yeah, that's it's, a, great. it's a really inspiring blog post about, you know, not being scared that your ideas are going to disappear forever and you're going to run out because people do yeah, of worry the, about that as well. Like the well's dried up. Exactly. I guess I might as well hang up my hat. It's all over for, you know, and it, it it's, it's so true. It's, and it kind of goes back to that quote that we were talking about earlier about, you know, inspiration strikes at 9 a.m. every morning. It's like, it's just like, anything else whether you're into like you know fitness you're not going to get the results that you want by sitting at home and imagining yourself at the gym you got to go and do the work oh man and yeah like like you know and and the same thing goes with ideas i i think it's the same like if even if every day for 15 30 minutes an hour however much time you can devote to to just working on something you're flexing those muscles and by doing that more ideas will come naturally i like i feel like i don't know if, if uh you're probably like this too but like when you're working on an album or you have that on your mind all the time you're constantly just you know like i when i was first working on a, a solo project a lot a lo- you know four years ago i i was i did it by myself my my goal or challenge was to see if i can write a whole album by myself do the vocals guitar programming all the stuff plus learning how to do home studio recording production all that stuff so that yeah. was like my my challenge and sometimes you need to do that too put deadlines on yourself or just you know treat 
treat it as if you were working for somebody else. It's very easy to put it off when it's just you. It's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do it later. Back know? burner. Well, kind of going back, uh, I know we, we talk about some recommendations and stuff, and I, I think this is a, a perfect one because it's, it's very fitting is um, uh, this book. I know, I know you read it too. It's the, the war of art. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. Break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles. And the thing I love about this is because, you know, the, that word procrastination that gets thrown around a lot, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, like he mentions in the book, there's like this inv- almost this invisible character called resistance that, you know, can get in the way. Or, you know, when you have that voice that kind of tells you like, Hey, you're, you know, you're not that you're not good enough or nah, you can't do that. that or, guy. Yeah. You're not the guy, eh, you know, it's very easy to kind of get in your own head and, you have to basically work against this, this thing of resistance and, you know, cause you know, it's easy to just be like, Oh, I just procrastinate or whatever, but it's like, there's a reason for why you're doing it. Either you're mm-hmm. like, you have the fear of failure or you just think it's not going to be that good. The, the seed of an idea, like, you know, like there's times where you work on stuff where like I've had sometimes people listen to some music I've done, whether it's like, you know, some, flushed out orchestral thing or like a band track and they're like how did you like how did you do that how do you think of that it's like when you see it all at one time it's like like meeting some giant bodybuilder guy and you're just like how the hell do you get so big he's like well i've been training for 20 years and i right. eat seven thousand calories a day and i do it every day for like two hours or more you know and it's like it's it's easy to to see the end result and be kind of like oh like you know like when people are trying to do like a recreation of some really complex piece of music or something it's like yeah there's a lot of moving parts but they're all steps mm-hmm. you know like the what is it the walking a mile starts with a single step kind of thing and that's the same thing as like having that little that little idea but sometimes there's this little wedge that says like mm, nah don't need to do that you know and i think that book Resistance. is it's it's really it's really great because it's it it puts it into perspective in a very easy and digestible way i think it's a it's a really cool book yeah it gives a name to your enemy mm. that's important uh and that leads perfectly into my next thing that i brought to the table which is the art and science of getting to the very top of crowded creator markets so this guy this is a reddit thread that I read and it's, I spent 25 years managing artists in the music industry. This post is based on my experiences of building creative success in crowded markets. He says, most people quit easily. This is your competitive advantage. Want to have a podcast in the top 1%? Do you feel like you're too late or the market is too crowded? You're wrong. He says, 90% of podcasts don't get past episode three. That's 1.8 million plus who quit. Of the 200,000 podcasts left, 90% will quit after 20 episodes. That's another 180,000 gone. To be in the top 1% of podcasts in the world, you need to only publish 21 episodes of your podcast. And since we just published 22 and this is 23, we're killing the game. Uh, He says, your competition is not the 2 million plus podcasters. It's the 20,000 podcasters who didn't quit. And he goes on and basically says, people quit too easily. Um, Creative success is about lag and lead metrics. And so if you are doing the lead metrics, which is grinding it out every day, the lag metrics like followers and plays and all the things that you're striving for will come with time. Uh, 
Yeah. And this basically applies to anything creative where you are selling your personal brand, selling a skill set. And he gives some science. So we'll link the article in the description. But basically, he says, getting into the top percentage of any market will be the hardest thing you will ever do. The key to having a successful career as an artist or creator is endurance. Yeah, it's it's like that that whole thing of, you know, some people get up at 7 a.m. every day. Some people get up at, you know, 4 a.m. every day. And it's like basically they're like you, you can't control what other people are doing. So mm -hmm. if you're like, all right, well, you know, if I can't outdo them in this way, well, then I'll just try to outwork everybody. That's why I think some people are more successful than others. And, and, and a lot of times it could just be timing, you know, especially with like music and bands, like I, I think, or, or a lot of artists who are trying to get out there, sometimes it's timing. Like there's bands who were out, you know, 20 years ago and then they just went away and then they come back 20 years later and they're just successful and they have all these fans and it's like timing, you know, maybe mm -hmm. people weren't ready for what you were doing or you were a little too like ahead of the times. Um, it's like back to the future where he's shredding and then he's like, your, your kids are going to love it. Yeah. He's yeah. He's back there uh, shredding with Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Yeah. yeah. And it's basically just doing it over and over for a long period of time. It, it You really have to think about it. Is this something that you like to do? Is this something that you would do if you had all the money in the world? Because that way it's like, it comes from a genuine place. Like you're, you're happy to do it. You, you enjoy doing it. You're not just doing it for likes or plays or, or whatever. I think when it's genuine and you just do it all the time, like eventually be successful. If not, then if, if it doesn't get to some crazy number of followers or one, then in the 1% of podcasts, it's like, well, you've won because you're doing something that you enjoy. You know, you're, mm -hmm learning from people you're talking to different personalities like you're learning on a, on some kind of level subconsciously or not you're taking away from all of these people's stories and you know that's why like tim ferris you know why do you think people like him get successful it's like well let me break down all these brains of all these people and see if i can like steal all these little nuggets of like why these people are winning and in the end, you can apply that to yourself and into what you do. But at the end of the day, you're just having a fun conversation with somebody. It's not really like forced. You just, you enjoy it, you know, and mm -hmm. you just got to find something that you like to do and just do it all the time <laughs> because like, that's Repetition. it. Yeah. It's just like mastering a scale or, or nailing, a, hitting certain vocals and pitch. It's just like, basically what it comes down to is work. And I think as time goes on and there's all these things now that are trying to simplify everything like, Oh, there's this plugin, you drop it on and it's done. It's like people's ability to, to work harder, I think is kind of going away. And that's why you see a lot of people asking questions of, well, how do you do this? Well, how do you do this? It's do it. Sure. There's, there's no other way of going about it. Like, you know, like even teaching guitar, I, I would like have people ask me like, well, how do you do that? Or how'd you write that song? It's just like, I just wrote it. Like, I, I can't explain to you how my brain works. Kind of going back to the whole, like, where do ideas come from? It's like interpretation, your experiences, what you listen to, what things of music that you listen to that really kind of resonated and connected with you and then kind of doing it in your own way. But a lot of it, it just really comes down to doing it over and over and over and over and a lot of times i feel like when you really are doing something that you enjoy like you don't even think about it like if you're writing a piece of music or something it's like you're not thinking about oh how many listens is this gonna get you're just enjoying the process 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot, a lot of what people are missing. Like maybe if, if you're trying to ask all these questions to try to learn how to do something, maybe it's something that you necessarily don't really want to do. And you're just doing it because you're wanting this outcome. Sure. Like if you feel like it's something you're supposed to do or yeah, like expectations are there. Yeah. Like I saw this clip of uh, Gary V talking about, you know, when people put stuff off, but then there's certain things that they do and they, they just kind of go hard at it. It's like, well, maybe all these things of like why you're procrastinating is because that's something you don't like to do. So maybe you should just cut that out, you know? Cause I think like when, when you're really wanting to go somewhere with something, you just do it. Sure. And that's it. It's like a intrinsic motivation. Yeah. Like I remember like when I used to practice guitar, when I was a kid, I didn't ever think about anything like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get this, this thing down and and as fast as I can, because, you know, one day I'm going to, there's going to be this thing called YouTube and I'm going to film myself and I got to be able to nail it. It's like, you know, you're just like, you're working on it because you just enjoy it. It's, it's fun for the love of the game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Random stat of the day. Do you remember ringback tones? No. Okay. So or may, maybe I do, but I don't remember or never knew of the, yeah. Well, let me tell you about them. So basically when you called someone, uh, instead of like ringing, like, you know, bleep, bleep, Oh, it would like play like would, waiting music from something. It would play like pop music. Oh and, yeah. 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 That was like probably back in what, like 2005. Yeah. Perfect. Something like that. So you would have to buy the ringback tone, right. As the person who would be playing it mm-hmm. um and then also just ringtones before streaming caught on at this point like early 2000s ringtones and ringback tones made up 11 percent of the entire music industry oh wow so that is how disastrous <laughs> things got from like the napster <laughs> situation oh yeah 11 percent of the money was just going to ringtones wow that is the random stat for you today uh, and then I also did a little bit more digging on YouTube's uh, recommendation system and mm-hmm. like their algorithmic stuff. And basically, subscribers are not important unless they're actually going to watch your videos. And it's not guaranteed that they're going to watch your videos if they're subscribers. So the, the most important thing is like watch time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously like getting people to click on your video with a good thumbnail and title is important, but the watch time. And then if they thumbs up the video and they rate it five stars, if they get a survey afterward, Mm -hmm. uh, those are the most important things. One of the YouTube like employees talks about, uh, he, he does like a YouTube Q and a, and he talks about how these things kind of play into the recommendations algorithm and why your video might get picked up years later for whatever reason or you mm-hmm. know a certain video gets hundreds of thousands of views while the rest of your videos get a hundred views and so um i'll link this in the description if you want to watch it's a it's a blog post from youtube and also a video from them but it basically just talks about you're trying to get your viewers to be satisfied with the content inside the video so the longer they stay the better it is and the more that they will recommend more of your videos to that viewer. Yeah. Like uh, another thing that, you know, for anyone who's watching too, like there's a lot of features within YouTube, like, um, like having like an end screen 
So, mm -hmm. you know, if people do like, let's say they skip around or they end up getting to the end of the video, you know, there'd be like a little section where you can have people subscribe or another video that pops up maybe to a, a, just a single video that's related or a playlist. Playlists are really good because if people are just kind of going through the playlist or hitting all those different videos, like it, it, you're feeding into the algorithm of that people like to watch your content. Yeah. Um, also using cards, you know, if like, a there is a lot of times where you'll see like, oh, like a certain video maybe got only like two minutes of watch time and, and you can see it on a graph, like where it dies down, it'll start and then sort of like peter off. And you can look into those graphs and see where, you know, maybe around like the minute, two minute mark. So you can use these little cards, you can pin them there. Like, so a little thing will pop up like, oh, like watch this video. So if maybe their attention is starting to trail off or they just want to just binge content over and over and a little thing pops up like, oh, you like learn how to do this. Like, oh, cool. And then they'll click on that and it keeps your, you want to keep them there. It's just like any network, you know, like if you're watching Fox or whatever, uh, you know, they want to keep you there. So they're always going to have little things that kind of keep your attention. Oh, like, oh, coming up next, there's this, you know, crazy thing. Like, oh, I got to, oh, I'll wait for this commercial. Like, this seems really important. I need to watch that. You know, so it's, it's like finding ways to kind of keep people hanging out on your channel. And it's then, tricky because yeah. YouTube is such a black box. And so like, it's always kind of changing. The rules are always morphing and yeah. changing on yeah. what works. Yeah. That's another thing too. Like you'll always see people, you know, you know, the, it's the algorithm and I'm, I'm fighting against the algorithm. It's, it's, <laughs> it's holding me down. No one's seeing my stuff because the algorithm it's like, you know, also too, like how, you know, how often you post, you know, that's why like when you had guys like, you know, like those vlogger dudes like Casey Neistat who are just posting every single day for yeah. what was it like a year or two years or something, some crazy thing. It was absurd. And then you see like, oh, he's got like, you know, five, six, seven million, 10 million subscribers is because he's doing it every day. So it's just popping up, popping up. But like, that's it's like your petition. Yeah. You're, you're keeping the YouTube monster happy by just feeding them all this content, you know? So it's just, you know, that's another thing that plays into it. You know, how often you post utilizing all the different aspects, like, cause it's like now YouTube has stuff like shorts, YouTube stories. It's like all these, it's like with every new social media platform that comes out, it's like, they're all kind of taken from each other, you know, like, oh, mm -hmm. like this one has Still. this and then they take that. And then it's like, now you're, you have even more content you need to make and, and create to like, keep all these little things. And, you know, cause then that new feature that they just put out it's like the the one that they're focusing on so it's like you got to do that to now they're pumping that one yeah yeah so it's it, it's tricky and it is a lot of work it's just like there's so many different things going on and right. yeah, it's crazy you sound exhausted <laughs> i'm tired can you see the bags in my eyes i'm tired uh so we can move on to our recommendations section at the end of the episode um my recommendation is seth rogan wrote a book and it's basically just a book of personal stories. And what's actually more fascinating to me is his entrepreneur pivot. So, mm. I mean, like, I'm sure you remember all the Seth Rogen comedy movies, like the Judd Apatow stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, well, like Seth Rogen is now an entrepreneur. He's just everywhere. Like he has... Mm. He has a new podcast coming out. He has, and I guess I'm pumping it right now, but he has a, he has a new book of stories. He has a weed company called Houseplant. And basically the dude used to just be like a movie star, mm -hmm. but now he's this huge personal brand. And yeah. so like 
that's been really interesting to watch that evolution because I just think of him as like the weed comedy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but now like reading his Twitter and reading this book, I'm like, dude, this guy's a genius. Yeah. It's, it's smart when people realize like, Hey, I got a platform here, right? you know, like you can either use it to, you know, promote some real issues that are going on in the world and do stuff with creating new companies. Like um, the first person that I think of when I, when I hear this is uh, Misha Mansour from Periphery. Mm-hmm. You know, when he just started off, it was just, he was just recording music on his own and putting it on a forum and then eventually led it into a band. And then the band got pretty successful and then being in certain bands where you're known for for gear you know and then next thing you know he's got a guitar his own signature guitar his own pedal company uh, and then he starts making strings and it's just like it's like well like shoot like if i have this ability to kind of like keep keep the ball rolling and yeah and do stuff that i enjoy like you know whether you're seth rogan you like to you know partake in a little marijuana activities start a weed company all right there you go you know it's just like well, now I can make all these little extensions of myself. It's kind of like, why not? You know, like, yeah, yeah. it's cool. It's cool to watch the the growth and evolution. Cause like, obviously you don't want to be the drug comedy guy for your whole life. Right. Yeah. Just like Hans Zimmer doesn't want to compose driving Miss Daisy every mm-hmm. single movie over the course of his career. So it's cool to watch like the evolution and the, the change and morph of people just like growing and also like their brand of personality expanding. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I couldn't help but think, what if he redid Driving Miss Daisy now, but just put some Brahms in it? <laughs> How badass would that movie be? You it know? would slap. Yeah. Yeah. She's slap. driving down the street and just burn. <laughs> I could see him remaking Rain Man too. That would be sweet. Yeah. They're redoing Top Gun. Why don't they redo Rain Man? But yeah, I, I think it's smart for people to do that. Like, uh, I think I saw some some magazine where uh, like Jessica Alba now she's like a billionaire or something like with her. Yeah. With Honest her stuff. Company. She, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just it, you know, like you just because you started off in doing directing or something, it's like a market for it. And it's something that you enjoy and, you know, and, and kind of starting that entrepreneurial journey. It's like, why not? You know, or even if you yeah. try it and if it doesn't really work out, that's cool. Like start something else like yeah it's cool it's cool to see people land that trick uh Mm -hmm. because it doesn't work for everyone like i don't see john goodman starting a a weed company and writing like a a best-selling book of stories yeah so it's cool when they land the kick flip yeah yeah not everyone can get away with uh doing that maybe like dave Chappelle or something he's probably one of those guys that can like anything he does just seems to be good you know whether it's like his uh real stories or comedy or you know sketch stuff it's just like some people just kind of have that that aspect of you know like when people say like everything they touch kind of turns to gold or they just have that that kind of thing um you know not to say that some people don't some people maybe just have it a little bit easier or they just have that or maybe it's just that ability of not caring and just going for it approaching it really just like eh, if it fails it fails you know you're, you're not putting like too much overthinking into it to where it becomes convoluted and doesn't really work out or something or that's one of the things i loved about um rogan's story because he was talking about doing comedy at like 12 years old and going to comedy clubs at like 14 and he was like you, you remember when you're like a kid and you don't overthink things and you don't get in your own head and you just 
hop out on stage and do crazy stuff mm-hmm. like that's that was that was very nostalgic for me as like somebody who played in a lot of bands it's mm-hmm. like you don't you don't doubt yourself like you do uh when you when you get later in life it's like um why not me why why not why can't i be the person you know performing on stage or writing this book or whatever and i i think that was a cool aspect of like reminiscing on childhood yeah i think i think that's really cool and it it's kind of like with a lot of kids that have these really crazy imaginations is because they're not quite uh beat down from you know the the aspects of grown-up life yet sure so you don't have that like well i can't do that because i got i got a mortgage to pay for (laughs) you're just like i'm gonna be in the biggest band in the world and that's really the mentality you kind of have to have and it's like for anyone who really is successful it it just comes down to like this is my vision and it will happen irrational confidence yes that's a great way to put it (laughs) love it so as far as things that I want to recommend, um, I kind of want to get your recommendations on this too, because we both do our own sort of DIY mastering and stuff like that. Um, talking about like mastering plugins. Um, mm-hmm. And it always changes, but there's a few that I think I always kind of go to that just seem to work really well. Um, for me, I've been using uh, Golfos, which is a really oh, cool nice. intelligent EQ. It does things in a very crazy and... Uh, algorithmic way of, of being able to kind of like internalize like all the different sounds and frequencies that are coming in and kind of con- it has controlling it. Brain. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot smarter than me. And I just kind of like, let it do its thing. It's got a few different sure. parameters that you adjust of like frequencies that are masked or frequencies that are a little too dominant and you can kind of like tame it without you having to really do a lot of work. And it, it really works well on like the master bus or group track. So if you have like uh, let's say you're doing some orchestral stuff and you have like a string group and brass group. It really handles multiple um, sound sources in a really, in a really cool way. Uh, and also on, you put it on like each group or you're using it just like once on the master or how do you use it? I, I generally tend to use it on the master bus. Uh, sometimes I will experiment and throw it on a, a on a group track. If I feel like maybe just a single like fab filter pro q or something isn't isn't handling it generally i'll just throw it on the master bus but you can totally use it on groups and who knows like maybe doing it that way makes it to where you don't necessarily need to do it on the on the mix bus so it's just you just play around with it either one probably works and then also for mix bus compression i use the it's the ssl g comp yeah it's the stereo one and that's kind of like just a, a tried and true compressor. I know like a lot of people use the the actual hardware units back in the day, and it's kind of like a classic sound, but I, I feel like it, it works really well. There's other companies that uh, like Slate has the, I think it's like the FG Gray or something like that. That one has a lot more parameters. That one's cool because you can actually do some uh, like high pass filtering on it. So if you have a lot of lower drums or like kick, kick drums that are really kind of like making that compressor like hit really hard you can actually filter out a lot of that stuff too which is cool because then these big low impacting sounds aren't like making your compressor just like get squashed right so that one's really cool and then um for for limiting i've i've actually been using the uh the isotope Uh, i forget which version of ozone it might be ozone 
is it nine? Is that the newest one? Yeah. Yeah. I forget. So I've been using that a lot for like the, um, like the, the widener sounds like there's like some really cool, like stereo widening that you can do with that. Uh, the limiters are actually, they work really well. I used to use the FG, is it the FGX from Slate? I used to use that one a lot, but yeah, I just been, uh, the ozone stuff's actually really cool. So three plugins, <laughs> Uh, basically, I mean, you can do all that stuff even with just isotope, but I think, is, is that what you use? The, uh, I use ozone eight for my master bus and it has like a learn feature, which I use constantly. And it basically listen, you play it for the loudest part of your music and then it will turn on like dynamic EQ and a maximizer and some other stuff that it thinks it's basically giving you its best recommendation as a, uh cute little robot and you can see oh yeah i have no bass in this track or oh yeah like um you know my mids are just getting slammed because this dynamic eq is like you know bringing it down 10 decibels or something like that so it basically shows you like anything that jumps out on a frequency spectrum and then it'll just you know make your track louder and then i use valhalla vintage verb and supermassive Valhalla delay and then all the fab filter stuff i like the the pro l and the pro q mm -hmm. um but there's so many good plugins these days like it's uh it's hard to recommend like just three as far as the mastering process or like what what goes on like the the final output pretty much just using ozone and maybe a little bit of reverb and delay mm -hmm. and that's it so you'll you'll put a reverb on your on your uh master mm -hmm. master bus and and let everything kind of run through that yeah just like two percent like very very low but just enough to kind of give some stuff tails and a little bit of glue to yeah, everything yeah. kind of like put everything in one room sort of thing yeah exactly yeah that's interesting because I, I i i used to experiment with that because i've uh remember hearing like when i was first getting into uh working on orchestral music, you know, they're like, oh, you know, everything kind of feeds into like a reverb and it sounds like it's all in one room. And then when I, I, but I probably went a little too heavy handed on it and I was like, it just sounds a little like sounds too much. Washed. Yeah. Or I would even, uh, experiment with like trying to do that with like band stuff, you know, with like guitars and drums and bass mm -hmm, and sure. kind of give it like a more lively sound or something. But I feel like, yeah, these days I tend to just sort of send that stuff into effects tracks. Like in Cubase, you can have an effects track with one effect on it. And then you just kind of like use sends to feed however much into it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's like, there's like so many different ways of going about it. Like, it's like you, like to get to this place, you can go straight and make a right, or you can make a right and then go straight. So it's like, it all kind of like different all paths lead to run. To yeah. <laughs> all right so yeah that pretty much wraps up this episode of the podcast if you're watching we recently just came out with desk bell which is a fun free library it's super cool there's a lot of cool effects presets and ambiences and uh that uh nathan bowler has made for all of you a uh, really cool fun inspiring library if you just want a little you know fun desk bell that you can use uh it's a, a special library for our founder mike peasley because it's the desk bell that his mom who's a teacher had right yep and she just retired from uh the workforce and um she's had that desk bell for a very long time yeah so it's very special and it's free cool library definitely head over to the website check it out download it play around with it if any of you happen to make some tracks with it definitely 
tag us on any social media platforms or or let us know in the comments what you guys think and uh yeah until next time make sure to subscribe to catch all the future podcast episodes and we will see you in the future we'll catch you next week peace catch you next time adios nathan peace bye greg <laughs> 